What's up, guys? Thank you for joining me and welcome to the show. So I was so excited for this conversation as I've been a fan of this woman for many, many years. Kelly Calabrese, the world-renowned fitness entrepreneur and best-selling author, joins me on the podcast today. So I heard Kelly speak recently at a partner's call about her experiences of overcoming depression, anger, grief, and loss of identity after ending a 24-year marriage and how that experience showed her strength she didn't realize she had. And her old vulnerability and the way she took a deeply personal, painful experience and created a whole new program to help others going through similar experiences was unbelievable and I know I had to connect and talk with her. So we dove into her origins of getting into health and fitness, her personal drive and wanting to achieve more, and the pains and struggles she went through in becoming who she is today. This was an absolutely amazing conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. All right, we'll get right to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll catch you on the inside. And we're live. Kelly, it's an honor to have you on. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Michael, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. As I said, your energy is just so infectious right off the bat. So, and as, as I said, I've been a fan of yours for a while. I'm so happy we got connected through, you know, a mutual friend of, of Brian Grasso. And um, you've been, it's, it was always interesting talking to someone like you because you've been in so many different areas of health and fitness and entrepreneurship. And uh, so I'm going to try and keep it as succinct and framework as possible because there's so many things I want to ask you. Um, but again, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, I think this is just going to be a great conversation. Thank you. I agree. Well, I've been around a while. <laughs> so if you're around a while, you get to do a lot of things, but they always for me line up with what I call divine health. So that's what I wake up every day to do. There's just been a lot of different vehicles along the way and it continues to evolve. <laughs> um, I'm already writing notes, divine health. That's like a knowledge bomb right there. So, well, to, yeah. kind of, well, to kick this off, I know um, I listened to a call that you did with a group that I'm a part of, you know, with partners. And you mentioned that, I believe it was like 13 years old, you wrote in your journal that you wanted to be an exercise therapist. And so right off the bat, like you wanted to be, in this field of health and fitness. What was it about this world of coaching or health that really intrigued you at such an early age? Well, we do things to move away from pain and towards pleasure. And the pain for me was a really strong family history, heart disease, diabetes, stroke, obesity, alcoholism, cigarette smoking. I looked at all that and went, ooh, I don't want anything to do with that. But the pleasure was I loved when I was running, dancing, jumping, swimming, cheerleading, like anything I could do to move, I'd get that endorphin rush. I'm like, what do people not get about this? Like, this is amazing. <laughs> and I want everyone to be well. So when I was 13, I did write that I will be an exercise therapist along with about 25 other things. And almost every single one of them has happened. So there is so much power to intention and writing it down. Wow. So 25 and they've all just, wow, you're a manifester. Yeah. That's pretty I wrote, crazy. <laughs> uh, I will build my own house. I will speak in Italy. I will own health clubs. I will drive a Mercedes. I will marry a man 10 years older than me. I don't know what I was thinking at 13. I think I thought boys were immature. <laughs> <laughs> I will have two children. So all of them happened. It was incredible. Wow. Okay. Did you have like a writing process like this early on? Is that something that's always kind of been a part of you of writing down just kind of your thoughts and, and putting them on paper? Yeah, I do remember my mom getting me diaries, you know, when mm -hmm. I was little and I would write in them every night and just dreaming about, you know, what I thought my life could be like. And there is definitely something very powerful to taking the time to think about it, write it down, review it, and even share it with people. Now mm -hmm. you're giving momentum to it. You're putting it to life. Mm -hmm. 
It is. It's the the process of journaling. I've talked a lot about with people on the podcast, just writing process and how powerful that can be to do it. Speaking it out to other people. That's something that's not talked about as, as much. Usually it's like it, it's a personal type thing, but spreading that message out, I could definitely see how that's probably a huge thing for manifesting success down the road. It does give it energy because it starts with a belief. So we believe something and then that belief becomes a thought. And as we think it over and over and over, eventually we should speak it out. If we believe it to be true, if it's something that lights up our soul and encourages us and we're excited about, once you speak it, now you start to put it into action. When you do that action habitually, it becomes a habit. And then that habit becomes your character and your character becomes your identity. So for example, you know, being in the fitness, nutrition, wellness, coaching world, um, let's say, for example, your identity is I'm someone who is a lifelong athlete who has a good relationship with food. That's just a simple thing that somebody might say who's listening to this. Mm-hmm. So you're probably not someone who goes through the drive through if that's the case. Mm-hmm. It might happen occasionally, but it's not your lifestyle. So you just don't identify with someone who passes a McDonald's and goes, oh, I want to drive through there because you don't identify with that. You might just, you know, put the hand up physically, mentally, emotionally, however, just go like, I just drive right right by. That's not even a struggle for me because I won't even consider it. It's not who I am. So that's when it gets in your Mm. identity and you're someone who you're either going to skip a meal because it's not worth eating and I'm not picking on McDonald's, but just as an example, or, you know, I'm going to prepare by grabbing a green drink or something else. Mm. That's my identity. Yeah. So your, your character really shapes that identity. And then just those other things, it's just not a part of you. Like it's not even a thought of a struggle of going past the drive-through or something that is, it's interesting. And I know, I mean, you've built a lot of success in this world of health and fitness. And I know that's come from a long time of putting in the work every single day. Were you always just a very driven person or was this something that you realized getting into the health and fitness? Like, wow, I, I think I can really be successful in this in a lot of different modalities. I would say I am wired to be a doer and be highly responsible. I believe that is in my DNA, but I also had two parents who came from very humble beginnings and they use that pain to say, I want to do more, be more, have more, give more. And so I watched that. My parents over the years had 10 different businesses. My dad worked for the city of New York, but he also had a construction company that he worked all day long before his four to 12 shift. And then any extra money that he had, he would you know, build a business. So he had delis and a restaurant and pizzerias. So over the years, I watched them and I grew up working in those businesses, you know, with my mom and dad. And it was just in my nature, you know, not to be lazy and to be business conscious. So I got that education sort of business school, just growing up in my family. Yeah. Kind of that school of hard knocks early on, just, you know, put them to work and just see, oh, that's so, I mean, it's so interesting that you had such an upbringing like that, where, you know, you just, you saw that experience, you saw those experiences right off the bat. And, you know, it's I'm always curious with that. Like, was your, was your father, you said, who was like always kind of building these things, did, was he kind of like setting up these visions or did he just keep doing stuff over and over again and just building these things? 
I think he was a little bit of a risk taker. I mean, he was a calculated risk taker, but he knew buying real estate, for example, was something that was a good investment. So anytime he had extra money, he would buy real estate. And with his background in construction, he was always building things. So he was willing to take chances and he took chances on people too. You know, at his funeral, I remember so many people coming up to me and saying, wow, if it wasn't for your dad, I wouldn't have never done this. Or if it wasn't for your dad, I'd probably be dead or addicted. Or mm -hmm. So he was just a man who, looked out for people. He brought the underdog up because he was the underdog, you know, for a long time in his upbringing. And so he just had good wisdom and integrity. And I think that carried over. And when you serve people, eventually you're going to do okay. <laughs> right. Right. Did he, did they share that wisdom a lot with you growing up or did you see it more just from the example that they were setting every day? Definitely the work ethic. I mean, I saw how hard my parents worked for sure. And, you know, looking back, I would say it wasn't very balanced. We didn't have a lot of vacation time, but there was definitely a lot of love. And, you know, the holidays were incredible, but they were not um, extravagant kind of people. They were pretty simple, blue collar people. And they were wise in terms of investing. And, you know, their parents came from the recession, depression generation. Mm -hmm. So there was always, you know, conservation, no wasting. And, so I learned a lot of good life skills growing up that you do save and you do invest and you don't waste. And so that definitely carried over and you have to put your goals out there and run after them. You know, the prince on the, the, the white horse is not coming to save you. You've got to get up and make your dreams happen. Right. Yeah. I, I love it. I think it's so, it's so interesting to to hear how people who get into entrepreneurship come up, you know, because you see it from both ends. You see it, similar experiences like yours, who you saw your parents kind of doing it, you build that work ethic, but then others, it was like completely out of left field. Like they didn't want to do the nine to five. Cause that's what a lot of parents were doing. They wanted to explore. They had that creative side of it. So it is, it's always fascinating, you know, to hear. So when yeah, you I think I'm highly unemployed, I've actually never been employed with the exception of one week in college <laughs> that I worked for New York sports club and I quit after a week because they kept telling me when to take breaks. I'm like, I don't want to take a break. I'm going to keep working. And then I'd leave there oh, and I'd wow. go work at three other gyms teaching classes. And I was working on campus. And so that just felt like a round peg in a square hole for me working for someone. And I never did it again. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So you work, that was New York sports club, you said? One week, I, and I actually ended up speaking for them years later. I actually trained their trainers, which was way more fun. Oh, wow. Yeah, an alumni. I worked here for one week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's great. So, well, it, I mean, it's, it's interesting. When you got into just fitness and you started coaching and stuff, like, did you fall in love with it right away? Or was it something that kind of down the line, you're like, oh, no, now, like, I really, it took a little bit of time to really... You know, no, I did. I had to wait until I was 17 to get certified. Mm -hmm. And I went the very first opportunity I can. I remember being 17 and flying from New Jersey to California to go to the idea conference. And I, okay, I did yeah. my certification and I went by myself. I was 17 and I think I had been on a plane maybe once before that. And I just fell in love with it. And I started training clients and I was at a gym that had pretty high end clients. So I was training the governor of New Jersey and Miss New Jersey and the family members of Johnson and Johnson. I was training the Johnsons. And so I really got to work with, you know, high profile attorneys, but mm -hmm. they were just people. 
And I would see the transformation. And after a few weeks, they'd come in and they go, Kelly, you know, my employees are noticing that I'm just a happier person. You know, thank you. And I think my kids even like me better. And, and now I can get into that sports car that I was able to afford, but couldn't fit into before because my belly was too big and my back hurt too much. And mm-hmm. so I just started hearing the stories and they encouraged me. So my energy for it was very, very high because I was about helping people be well. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting when you see that because some people can look at those people and you put them on a pedestal so much when in reality, it's like they're just people like everything else. And it's those it's those interesting stories that you hear from clients, right? It's not just, oh, I, I lost this weight or I'm this strong. It's like, no, people around me are saying that I'm happier, like I have a different energy about it. I had some similar experiences, you know, um, getting into training because I worked with an adult a, an adult population. I worked with like senior citizens who weren't the aesthetic, you know, they didn't have the aesthetic goals of what I was at 22, 23 years old, but they wanted to stand up taller. They wanted to be proud. They wanted to take care of their, you know, take care of their houses. And you see that just energy transfer of that happiness going over. And it seems like you had a really uh, similar experience right off the bat. It is presence. I remember at one point I had 63 personal trainers working for me. I had like 60 plus group fitness instructors and I didn't know it, but one of my trainers, his client had a stroke and he was driving to his house, picking him up, bringing him in for a session and driving him home. And I didn't find out until months later that he was doing this. And I'm like, wow, you know, we've really built something very special here that this trainer wants to take his own time, gas money and and do this for this man so that he couldn't drive anymore, but he could come for his session. So it was really a great culture. And so that just gave it great energy. Wow. And nobody knew that he was going to. I didn't know for a while. I didn't notice it until one day I saw him, you know, walking him out to the the trainer's (laughs) car and putting him in. And I was like, is is Jeff driving him? And so I I questioned him and he said, yeah, you know, he had a stroke a few months ago. I've been picking him up and it's like, wow, that's powerful. Oh, wow. Shout out to Jeff. It's like, you know, just to do that's, that's character, right? It's like the the things you do when no one knows what you're doing, you're not getting it for praise. You're just doing it for the right direction. So you mentioned before we even, um, you know, popped in on recording of, I mean, you have a million certifications, you had three different science degrees, but you said, because your your son's getting into this world a little bit as well, and said, if you went back, you would have taken more leadership courses or sales courses or business development courses. And so why do you think that was? Was that, I mean, did you get experience in that or were you just so focused on kind of the science of training early on? I was definitely focused on the science of training. I went to Rutgers undergrad and they actually had five different categories under the exercise science degree. Um, And I did the exercise science, which was all the heavy physiology, physics, kinesiology, calculus, but there was sport management. There was, you know, phys ed, there was coaching, there was other options that I could have done. Looking back now, and my son is graduating next Friday with his first degree in kinesiology, and I I do hope he continues. And there's a lot of debate right now about if this generation really needs college. And I certainly could see where people could argue against needing college, unless you know you want to be a surgeon or, you know, Mm -hmm. an accountant. There's so many things that you can do now to learn, you know, go to a three-day seminar on real estate. If you want to become a real estate investor, you can do that. And I don't love that they have a lot of credentials and spending time, you know, with extensive English and history and so on, where they could be working on life skills, leadership skills, sales skills. If I were to go back, I would want to learn, you know, at that age in twenties, uh, NLP 
would be yes. valuable to know uh, how to be a servant, how to be good at business math is, you know, you need to know are things going to cash flow or not. Right. Um, so those are the lessons that I learned either the hard way or by hiring consultants, which of course is also expensive to do, but you need to weigh out what's the best use of my time for the value and the goals that I want to achieve. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting debate about, you know, education now because information is so fluent. You know, I was just on a, I just on a call before where Luca uh, Hockover was um, presenting and kind of said the same thing. It's like, you know, information is so free now that everything's on YouTube in there. But when you have so many choices like that, almost like is too much, you know, it's, it's too much information coming at us. So I think the college experience, I think, especially for young coaches is still such a value because you're in that community. You can still, you know, work with other people and, you know, kind of learn from other people, not just from the information, but it is, it's an interesting debate of going on now, especially for something like fitness or business. For sure. And my son is a collegiate athlete. So there's Mm -hmm. the benefit of, you know, being an athlete and being on a team. And there's so many incredible life lessons in being part of a team as well. So that's part of his experience right now, which, you know, I think is awesome. He'll be able to work and be an entrepreneur his whole life. So he's actually a certified trainer already. So he has his summer lined up for a collegiate baseball season, uh, hopefully Mm -hmm. get seen by some scouts but he's also going to be working at a baseball facility, personal training and doing conditioning for baseball players. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, good luck to him. That's going to be awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So you went, I mean, you did the world in health and fitness, but then I know a lot of the work that you do now is on like the relationship coach side, specifically helping with people who are going through divorce and post-divorce. And so, and I believe this really came from a personal experience. If you don't mind sharing this, I know you went through, you know, quite a bit to get to a lot of the work that you're doing now. Yeah, I am happy to share. So 24 plus years into my marriage, which I thought was, you know, (laughs) pretty good. My husband came home and said, my commitment to our marriage is zero. And he left. And that was my life event. That was the thing that floored me. And it could be whatever for everyone. They usually will have, if you've lived long enough, you're going to have some life events. So your loss might be a job, a business, a a parent, whatever. But this was the one that really took my identity to my knees, emptied me out and made me question a lot of things. So I took time and went on what I call a sabbatical and really went on this healing journey to understand, you know, who am I? What was my part in this? How can I make sure this never happens again? How do I really get to know my authentic self and become healed and whole and really have this new beginning where I can have this incredible bonus life that is better than I could have even imagined before, even though this isn't the story that I wanted. I don't think anyone has the life that they thought that they would have, Right. that I can use this to help me build even more courage and strength and boldness and power and resilience to go out and move into this next season of my life. And so, yes, I'm helping women and I created a program that I wished I had So having gone through, you know, divorce Mm. recovery and prayer groups and retreats and, you know, all the the TED Talks. And I mean, I I spent years reading the books and being in different groups and studying. And I picked out the things that I thought were the biggest levers that helped in my healing and moving me, you know, out of the past. Mm -hmm. And that's what I put into my program. So I'm helping women go through any stages of separation, divorce, post-divorce from 
I can't stand to be in the room with him. I hate him to I've been divorced for eight years and I'm still stuck. I can't get over this. So really it's any place that you think you're stuck or stopped in the grief cycle. Oof. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many things in that. Cause it's, I mean, talk about a specific thing like divorce, but as you mentioned, like if you go through life, you're going to, you're going to deal with some shit. It's like, it could be a job loss, which, you know, I've uh, known a lot of people I've experienced it myself of all of a sudden you're in something for so long and then you're out of it. It's like a, it's, it's a different type of breakup that you have, but it's that what the term that you use there, Kelly was that loss of identity. It's like you, you, we put so much around who we think we are and then something like this comes up and it just questions everything from there. How long did you go into a sabbatical like right away with that? Like you're like, I need to take some time and really figure this out. It was almost kind of forced because there were so many unreasonably difficult things that were happening. And a lot of them just happened with divorce. You're probably moving. You might be changing jobs. You might be, you know, your friend group may change. Your kid's school may change. it. So there's just so much change but there was PTSD that just set in from shock and denial that my brain wasn't working very well. So I wasn't even able to function a whole lot as much as I still got up every day and went to the gym and I, I was healthy physically, thankfully, but there was definitely like a, a numbness and a shock, not being able to remember things where it almost became difficult to work. So I just spent a lot of time focused on healing. So I did something every week. I was in, you know, care coaching and I went to the healing place and mm -hmm. I went to counseling. And so I just kept doing things to help peel back another layer. Mm -hmm. And so some of it was intentional, but some of it, because you know, I'm a fighter, I'm a doer, I'm an responsible, yeah. but I got to a point where I, I couldn't. And so for example, to do a sales call, I would block it out on my calendar and I would start listening to other people's problems. And I, I just couldn't, it just was killing my soul to hear oh, other people mm. complain about their lives or to hear their heartbreak. And it was, you know, I was underwater myself, so I couldn't even make the calls at some point I had to stop. You know, it's, it's so tough in, in some things there. Cause you know, I was in a, I used to be in a, um, I guess, community place where I worked at, where it was the whole leave everything, leave all your problems at the door. Like we're here to work type stuff. Right. And thinking that same thing that you go into a sales call and you're trying to help somebody genuinely, but you have all this other stuff that's going on in your head that it's like you, you try to block it off, but somebody brings it, Oh, I'm struggling with this. And immediately you have in your own head, like, well, I'm going through this. I can see this. And then you just start thinking about that to stop and realize like, okay, I need to take a break on that. That takes a lot of courage. Cause I think most people I've seen, it especially, I think more with guys from their energy, just push that down a lot more, but I'm sure, I mean, it's with everybody there, but that's, yeah. there's, that's a lot. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Well, thank you. Courage is really the tipping point between being a victim and living at the highest levels of love, joy, peace, patience, mm -hmm. kindness. So like we want to live up here, but if we're down at this victim level where the world is happening to me, there's nothing I can do. The tipping point is the courage. It's getting knocked down 10 times and getting up 11, having the courage to do that when you've had so many losses, you know, it's been so long since you've had a win and it just seems like everything is against you. It takes courage to get back up again and you've got to put the fear aside or whatever the false beliefs are and get up or not. You know, we see a lot of people not getting back up and they choose to live this low level victim life, which if, if you actually measure the energy of someone who's a victim, it is the same energy of someone who's decaying. So it's almost like a dead body that's decomposing. 
Victim is just a degree above that. So basically you're dying. So if you're choosing not to get back up, you're choosing to die. Wow. I mean, that's, that's such harsh words to hear right there, but it's like, it's so vital and so true from do a lot of um, people that you've worked with and they come, you know, to see you in your coaching and stuff. Is it, I'm sure, have they been experienced this? I'm sure for a while, like probably not a lot of people who have just, you know, it hasn't been a month or a couple months from it. Is it more like a lot of people have been struggling with this for years till eventually like they, they come and they seek out help? Yes, some people are. It's interesting. I believe how much you identify with your role as a wife, for example, has mm-hmm. a lot to do with it. How long you were together. Um, are you someone who lives in the past and you keep going back and repeating that story over and over? You're just, you know, those <laughs> synapses just keep going in your brain. That same story, that same depression. So there's a lot of things for some people, let's say a woman, she just finds another man, you know, and that helps her, right. she moves on, but eventually there you are again. So you're going to show up the same way. So if you're an enabler or a perfectionist or an addict or whatever, you're going to show up there again, a couple months down the line, unless you do the deep work to really heal. So it's, it's very dependent. Some people are able to move on a lot quicker than others and others never move on. And they literally die of a broken heart. Literally, they will get themselves so depressed that they will start to get sick because the spirit, the mind and the body are all connected. So if you're emotionally sick, that attaches to your physiology, you're going to start getting migraines. You're going to start having gut issues. You're going to, all those things are connected. So if you stay stuck and stopped in an ill grief filled place, you're not going to move on to a joy-filled new life that you're excited about. Yeah. It's those emotions carry so much weight, right? It was funny. I was interested. I had, I had a talk with a, a good friend of mine, Tyler Wall, who's a mindset coach. And we were talking about when you have that crucial conversation with somebody that maybe you've been putting off cause it's going to be uncomfortable, but you literally feel that weight off your shoulders. Once it's done, you yes. realize how much emotion that's in there. And it's interesting that you talked about that. If like you keep coming back to who you are, if you don't work on it, because one of the things I remember you mentioned in a, in a call is we know like 50% of relationships and in divorce of marriage, but you said second marriages, it's like 68% or so. And third, it's even more than that because you, you're not solving these identity problems. You keep showing up as who you are. I saw that as such a correlation of working with people in health and fitness who most of the time when people are hiring coaches, they've tried and failed numerous times before, but keep wanting to just go back to the same routine because they just felt some motivation there, but they're not really tackling, you know, why they're doing that over and over again. So it seemed like there's such a direct correlation in so many different areas of development from relationship as well as people's own health and fitness. Yes, yeah, so true. And whether it's the next diet, the next trainer, the next husband, the next house, the next, you know, you, you just keep going and wherever you go, there you are again, mm-hmm. holding up the mirror at some point is the best thing to do. Because even if your story was horrible in terms of relationships and you had someone who was, you know, a covert narcissist or abusive or whatever it might be, you still need to look at how did I attract that person? What is it that I'm doing that, you know, even made me think that I should be with this person not to say it was your fault or, you know, I'm not taking anything away from people who've been abused. It's horrible, but I still needed to look and say, what was my part in my marriage falling apart? Even though, again, my, if you heard my story, you would cry for me. It was difficult. It was terrible. It was unfair, but I still needed to look at my part in it. 
so really turning it back and saying, where should I take full or not full, but just take responsibility for what this is as well. It's, it's such a hard thing for a lot of people to do though. So what, what is, is it a, do you think like the best way to do this is to just think on it or journal it? I mean, I'm sure, is there some specific prompts that you use to kind of help people kind of with this, just figuring out this identity? Yeah, it is so freeing when you do. Well, in my program, I have all these exercises that I do with them, but it takes a deep dive. I mean, it's not magical. It's not one question or, you know, one right. moment. It can be a moment, but it typically takes some deep dive in figuring out what are my core values? What is really important to me that I always want to line up with that. And I always want to surround myself with people that also line up with these similar core values, especially the intimate people in your circle. You can, you know, train people, talk to people, but if their values are so different from yours, they might be a little further out in your circle. Hmm. So knowing what your core values are really help. And a lot of people have never truly identified those, but if you take some time to look at what's really important to me, you'll start to figure those out. And then that's a place where you can do that. And mm-hmm. it takes soul searching. So it takes quiet time. It takes yeah. meditation. You can definitely write things down because notice how do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? Those are the things that you value the most because that's mm-hmm. where we spend our resources. So, you know, if you value convenience, you're going to spend your money on convenience. If you value technology or pornography or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, that's where you're going to spend your time. So, Doing an inventory of your weekdays and your weekends will give you some insights into who you are. And then you have to look at who is who does the world say that I am versus who am I in my soul? Because they could be two very different things. So the world might be telling you, you know, you're a coach and you're a dad and all these titles, but all of that could go away in a moment. So the things that are fleeting and temporary, if they were stripped away, what's left? Like what's your authentic self? And If you could think about someone who you know, who is their authentic self, like you mentioned, you had interviewed Carrie uh, Mm -hmm. Campbell before. She's someone who I would say is her authentic self and you're drawn to her. If you lean in, you want when she walks in the room or on the screen, you're like, I want more of that Mm -hmm. because she knows who she is from her core. She's not pretending to be somebody. She's not letting the world tell her who she is. So that's an example for any of your listeners who might know her. Um, but I would say, think of someone who is, and I guarantee you want to be with them more. If you are not a person who's, you know, in fear and living in a life of lies, then that person might intimidate you and you don't want to be with them because they do speak truth and they do shine light in the dark places. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically you want to be around them because they're not trying to be someone they're not. It's it's such a fascinating thing to hear because I've talked with Carrie before and I've talked with Brian Grasso. I think they're both such two peas in a pod on yes. that. Like, and I told BG, like anytime I get off the phone with him, my, the rest of my day is just better just because you're connecting with those people, you know, from there. But you know, the, what you said there about, um, you know, identity, I think in this day and age, I don't know if you've seen this cause you've been in this world for a while, um, in health and fitness, with social media and people always trying to present their best selves, it almost seems more challenging that people are don't know their identity as much or don't take that time to really see who they are. But the what you said there about where are you spending your time and where are you spending your money? I think that's such a good thing that everybody can just take and take inventory of that because you're probably going to get a lot of answers just right off the bat on the first time that you try this. 
And we're all just trying to be loved at the end of the day. I mean, <laughs> that we want to be loved unconditionally, meaning for who we are. So we don't want someone to come in and try and change us, you know, change whatever about you, how you dress, your hairstyle, your, you know, how you act, your habits. We want to be loved for who we are. And there's not one single human on the planet, including your spouse, who's the most intimate person with you, who can give you that love. And even if you have a group of people, that's awesome. Like have your funny friends and have your wise friends and have your, you know, Mm. different friends and do different hobbies with whatever. That's awesome. They fill those love buckets for the different, you know, things in your soul that need to be filled. But for me, the unconditional love is definitely a spiritual connection because anything else could get stripped away. Mm. So um, for me, that's what helped get me through really the whole process. And every day, I don't know how you get through the day without that kind of something is bigger than me that is orchestrating all of this because if I'm all there is, that's pretty sad and pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it helps you to find out who you really are as well. Yeah. Well, and that's where I think the law of attraction actually does come into play. You know, it's like, it's when you are bringing your authentic self and, you know, surrender. I've, I've been down that spiritual path the same way. And one of the hardest things that you do, it seems with that is surrender and kind of just let things go, you know, from there where, where we're in, especially in America, we're in this culture where it's always like push, 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 like keep going, keep going. When sometimes it's just, no, let it, let it come in and just surrender you know, to it. And then all of a sudden kind of see what comes from that. It's, it's such a, it's, it's such an interesting topic of identity because I've kind of seen it on both ends, Kelly. And I don't know if you've seen this as well, because like, obviously we identify with certain things or we're akin to certain things, but at the same time, that's not a lot of people. You can go so deep down that path that you think that that's the only thing that you are. And by taking some time and some experience, maybe to look at every different area that you are. It seems like that's kind of, you know, part of this program that you've done is not just identify with one thing, but everything that you bring to the table. Right. Yeah. And a good way to sort of figure out your identity also is how do you show up in the world when you're trying to be loved? Because people work at this every day. So do you try and be the best? You don't want to be the best at everything. I want to get all A's. I want to be the, you know, the top performer. I want to, some people do that because that's how they got loved as a child when they got good grades and they were, Mm. got the medal, then they got the love and attention. Some people will be the rebellious one because that's how they got attention. Even though it was negative attention, it was love and attention. Some people will try and be the sick one because that's when everything stopped and they got to, you know, mom and dad came and gave them attention and Mm -hmm. loved them. And so we're doing something to try and be love. We might be, you know, enabling somebody else because that's how we feel love because we want to project it onto, you know, helping someone else. And so you can identify with that. And none of those are really healthy ways to be loved, but it's just how we're given love from people in the world. And our parents mm-hmm. aren't perfect. We're not perfect. No one is perfect, but it might help you to think about how did mom and dad love me what did I do to get loved by them? And that's probably what I do in my adult life Mm. now. And is that healthy or not? Like, am I striving to be the best at everything? Cause I feel loved when I have titles and you know, I'm I'm the best. There's going to be somebody better. There's going to be someone smarter with more money. Who's better looking at me, whatever. Like if you're waking up every day and that's your barometer for if you're feeling happy or filled with joy or motivated, you're going to be, 
you know, sad and down. So you have to look at your expectations too. Like I need to hold up my mirror every day and what can I wake up and do every day? Here I am. Here's my body. I got one of these. I'm going to keep it healthy, healthy, the best I can. Here's my car keys. Here's my cell phone. Like what, what am I supposed to do today? That would be the highest possible good. Even if it's not my calendar or my plan, just being open to that and watch what happens. I mean, amazing things can happen. Right. Yeah. Do you see at all people almost go too far down that spectrum though of the deep dive? Like it's almost like deep dive type stuff and like shadow work and things like that. That can almost be an addiction as well. Like if you go too far because you you feel something, right? You're trying to find that pain, but you see that you can almost get addicted to going into that deep dive and that inner child type work when I don't know if there's a correct answer of how much deep diving that you should do. Have you experienced that at all in the work that you've done with coaching? There's always two ends to a ditch, right? Right, (laughs) He can be be in either end of it. It's like, okay, anorexia or, you know, bodybuilding. Both of those could be a ditch, Mm -hmm. you know, so you don't be like ultra anything, but if you're not getting the results you want in your life, if your life doesn't have good things, good fruit happening, and you're repeatedly doing something, it helps to stop and go, okay, how do I keep getting here where I always feel so resentful? Or how do I get you know here where I always feel like I'm not worthy of anything good? Or So if it's a cycle and not a season, then mm-hmm. it's a good opportunity to go, why am I 10 years later still dealing with you know, comparison or addiction or whatever it is. So I'm not saying, you know, you need to go back and get some psychologists and do some deep childhood thing. I don't think you should stay stuck or stopped anywhere for any length of time, but at the same time, you can't always skip steps. So for example, in the grief cycle, one of the steps is anger. One of the steps is depression. Now depression seems horrible. You're like, why would, why would depression, you know, be a good place? You need to grieve the death of whatever it was, a job, a business, a a marriage. Mm -hmm. If you skip that, it's going to come back around until you learn the lesson in it. You'll repeat it again. Mm -hmm. Do you have a particular process that you do to make sure that you kind of keep yourself grounded in this? Like, is it a weekly thing or is it just something that you do on a daily basis to kind of check in with yourself? Yeah, I try and do it every day. I do gratitude every night. So Mm -hmm. I have a a big journal and every night I fill the page and it really becomes a superpower because you go throughout your day looking for things to be thankful for. Mm. And when you do, you start receiving good things. So now you're spending more time in joy and gratitude than you are in sadness, depression, regret. So that has been super helpful. If someone just wants to start somewhere, I would say, even if you intentionally started with a gratitude journal and in the beginning, mine was very mechanical. Like I took my vitamins, I walked the dog, Mm -hmm. I whatever, but now it's like, oh my goodness, I got to talk to Michael today. Like, wow, not everyone. I mean, a single percentage of the population will get to do this today. This is awesome. (laughs) And so you just go about your day with a different kind of energy and it Mm -hmm. keeps you up. You also can put boundaries on your day. Like I don't listen to any news, none. I just, I am not going to allow stuff in that I can't do anything about that is not contributing to my life. That is not helping me help more people. So um, you can, there's only so much of your brain space and Mm -hmm. physical ability to go around. So staying a little bit focused helps too, Mm -hmm. so that you're not constantly overwhelmed and inundated 
So I have somewhat of a routine that I do, my morning routine that helps set my day up for success. So there is quiet time, there is meditation, there is prayer, there is you know, worship music, positive messages mm-hmm. coming in while I'm doing my workout. And so that sets my brain, my body, my spirit up to receive good things throughout the day. Mm-hmm. It's, it is always interesting. I'm always, you know, curious to find the similarities from people who are successful in their different fields and whatever it is. And gratitude is always the one that comes to the surface. And this was something I thought about for a lot too, where we, we think of gratitude as an emotion when it's like, no, gratitude is more like a container of emotions. Like you cycle all other emotions through gratitude and that just all of a sudden you can find those good things that have, and it does, it starts very mechanical, right? Oh, I'm thankful because it's a beautiful day. I got a chance to walk out and stuff. And it might not be so nuanced or something that's brand new, but all of a sudden you start to look for those things throughout the day. I did that with, uh, with BG and just counting wins at the end of the day of like, these are the little things that happen. Eventually you actually start rewiring your brain to look for those good things. Oh, that was a win today. You know, it's like, oh, I actually made it, you know, here with no traffic, you know, that's actually a really cool win. And it's, it's amazing how quickly you can rewire your brain when you do those things. Yeah. And it's part of celebrating. I mean, my family in particular was not great about celebrating. Yes, we had a birthday cake and a birthday dinner and that kind of thing. But like every day, like I'm a step closer to my dreams and just acknowledging like, yeah, you know, my son called me today. I'm so happy. I mean, how many people, their college age sons, you know, don't call them in the morning. And so that was awesome. And, and journal the successes as well. So in my gratitude journal, I have a page where I just list miracles, stuff that happens that, okay, that was just absolutely miraculous that that happened. And then I also list things that I receive that I don't pay for. Like that person bought me soup or that person, you know, invited me to a concert front row tickets. What the heck? And, you know, so all of a sudden when I opened up my receiver, I was like, wow, this will add up to hundreds of thousands of dollars by the end of the year. You know, this person said, go use my vacation home. This person said, you know, whatever. And I'm like, wow. So I celebrate those things. I write them down. And if I do have a down moment, I can go back and read that. I'm like, are you kidding? You got this. And someone gave you that. And someone blessed you with this. And And then others want to join in your successes too. And that fuels your success. And you want to keep going when you keep celebrating and it gets your endorphins kicked in and you get a success mindset that way. And you just create the habit of going from success to success to success. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It doesn't mean you won't be disappointed. I heard a guy recently, he was talking about uh, Richard Branson was at his house. And when it was time to go, they went out and his driver accidentally left the car on and the battery was dead. And he was looking at Richard to see like, okay, what the, how's Richard going to respond to this? Like, this is going to be cool. Is he going to blow up? Is he like, what's he going to do? And Richard (laughs) looks at the the guy and he goes, well, guess we better go in and get another bottle of wine. And I'm like, yes. Like I loved that. Like like he's not letting anything ruin his day. He's going to find what's good about this situation. So, Mm -hmm. you know, going back to the divorced women, it's like, what's good about being single right now? And when people first told me that when I was first going through, you know, my husband moving out and all of that, I was just sobbing in tears. Like, you're mean. Like, yeah. this is terrible. I'm like, what? But now, you know, four years later, I'm like, there are some amazing things about being single right now. I mean, it's pretty awesome. I get to make all the decisions about everything. Right. The temperature of the house, what I eat, what time I go to bed, where right. I go, hop on a plane, girls trip. I mean, so would I love to have a husband again? Yes. And one day I will, but I don't wake up every day crying that I don't. 
in the beginning, it was sad to go out and see couples walking hand in hand and, you know, just seeing families at the grocery store dinner. And, but now I'm like, wow, like bless them. That's awesome. Like celebrate that marriage. Good for you. Right. And so you just find ways to celebrate. Yeah. It, it is. Cause if you, if you try and force it when it's not that time, right. Then you're just forcing an outcome, you know, from there and you're going to be back in the same situation where if you look at it, like you are from the positive side, eventually when the things that you want to happen, happen, you're going to be ready for it. And you're going to attract the right people to it because you're focusing, you know, on yourself. I, it's always such a, it's a thing. I think that just, we need that constant reminder of just in our lives of to, you know, treat yourself as someone you're responsible for taking care of, you know, and put yourself first and, you know, find that self-love first, because then you're going to attract all the other things from business success to relationships to, I mean, all that other good stuff. I love that story of Richard Branson. It's like, well, I guess we're just, yeah, I guess we're drinking a little bit more before this gets going. I mean, it's, it's such a, a small anecdote that you can hear, but it's such a bigger message of just how you respond to the activities of life from somebody who is known throughout the world as an epitome of success. Right. Of how yeah, you so react. when you get the next flat tire exactly. or you know, yeah. whatever it is. And I mean, it, it heals your soul not to go to the depths of, you know, being sad all the time or whatever your go-to is, you always go to that. So mm-hmm. um, some people may have heard Tony Robbins talk about when 9-11 happened, he was actually in Hawaii doing a big one of his events. And he just saw different people's reactions. Like one woman was a nurse and she got so depressed because she felt like she should have been there to help yes. the people. Mm-hmm. And then someone else um, actually was happy about the 9-11 bombings. And then mm-hmm. someone else had people he knew his company was in that building and he was just shocked. And so anyway, he looked and what he realized was we always have the same go-to. So we could all watch the same movie and have a, a different response. And if our go-to is to hear something and just be depressed or to hear something and find a solution or to hear some. So what is it that you do that's your go-to and is that serving you? So for Richard, it's like, let the party continue, you know, and, but someone else would have been like, you're fired, you're, you know, right. call, whatever, and get me another car. But so we have a choice. And if we want to heal our soul, I could like all my friends, when I see they're engaged, their anniversaries, 27 years, 30 years, you know, and I could go, Oh, it would have been 29 for me, but, but I'm mm-hmm. like, bless your marriage. Like, congratulations, go out and celebrate, love each other, do something amazing. Thanks for being a great example. Mm-hmm. Way to go making it 30 years. Like I, I'm going to champion you because to sit here and be sad that my didn't, you know, I'm not celebrating 30. I might never celebrate 30. I don't know, but I get today and it's all I get. So I choose mm-hmm. to make it the best that I can make it. That's so awesome. It is. It's like the celebration of others in that and genuinely doing that is just such a powerful thing. Cause it's, it's so easy to just go internal and just think of yourself. Like I think of this with, with clients I've seen and work with who are on a health and fitness journey. Like it can be so easy to look at another person in the gym and say, Oh man, like, you know, I wish I had their body or, Oh, they're so motivated. Why am I not so motivated? Or you can be like, wow, that person's freaking awesome. Like they're in here like every day and they're pushing it. And they said they had a tough day and they're still in there. Wow. I can take something from that. Like you can feed off that abundance of it. And if we're all doing that together, you can feel that energy. Like I just came from a conference this weekend of seeing a lot of uh, good friends and seeing some other people I haven't seen in a while and just the energy you feed off other, everybody else who's just cheering each other on and nobody's got an ego about it. Like I left that, I was, I needed more mental recovery from this weekend than physical recovery from we did because there was just such a high 
vibration of excitement for other people. And I think it's, it's one of those things, like if you're going through a tough time, like celebrate and be proud of other people and work with it. And it's actually probably going to feed into your own, into your own world. Totally. And no one has it all together. Like you said before, it could look like the best reel going on social mm-hmm. media, but no one has everything together. Everyone has different strengths. No one is a hundred percent in every area of their life. So champion each other. You might be the one who's strong physically, but a friend is a financial wizard and just like, wow, let's help each other out. Uh, Or someone is a great example of marriage and let them mentor you have mentor. I have mentors in every area of my life. And I selfishly have people come over because I want to glean from them, but they wind up getting something from me as well. Mm-hmm. And I mentor even young people that I learn from. There's a nine-year-old girl I've been mentoring for about a year and an 18-year-old girl that I'm so impressed by. I'm like, oh my goodness, this girl's a rock star. I've been <laughs> coaching her for four months. And I, I just actually saw her in New York this weekend. I'm like, what a difference. I saw her at Christmas and now I'm like, wow, she's a rock star at 18. Mm-hmm. So I get inspired by the people that I coach. Oh, that's so awesome. That's so great. So I want to, uh, I do want to talk about the new book that you have, which is success habits for, of super achievers, which yes. was this, was this kind of on a similar path? Like were you, there it is. Yeah. Um, were you kind of curious to just talk to these people to see what their habits were to kind of feed a little bit into your life? Or was there a different kind of idea of why you wanted to write this book? So this is actually one of my mentors, Kyle Wilson. I've been in his mastermind for almost seven years and he's a master promoter. He was the business partner of Jim Rohn for 18 years. And he's the guy behind so many of the personal development gurus that most people would know, like Mark Victor Hansen and Les Brown and Brian Tracy and so on. And he came up with this book. So mine is one of the chapters in the book, but it tells the story of 80 different people. And some are celebrities who you'll recognize, like Phil Collin of Def Leppard and uh, Darren Hardy, who edited Success Magazine as mm. a billionaire. And they tell their stories about how something unreasonably difficult happened to them, which happens to all of us. But they did choose to be resilient and get back up again and not just get back up, but really do something extraordinary with it. So there's professional athletes in there. There are celebrities from Hollywood, but they get real and they get raw. And then they talk about, you know, how it impacted their life, how it changed them and how they were strengthened from the adversity. And I recommend people read a chapter a day. There's over 80 chapters from iconic thought leaders, entrepreneurs, musicians, inventors, actors, and so on. So it's pretty awesome. Oh, I am definitely queuing this up. This sounds absolutely amazing for that. It is. It's so interesting to, you know, we always think that especially the, the successful, the successful and the icons that we see from there, usually maybe we heard a story of how they struggled, but not realizing that they've had continuous struggles in many different areas, you know, to build it up. And you don't wish these struggles on, on anyone, but those are the things that push us through and do get us there. Like it's, it's a cliche term, right? But it's darkest before the dawn, you know, from there. And it's one of those things. So it is, it's so interesting to hear those stories and hear those just personal anecdotes, you know, from people. Cause that's how I know I learned so much from that. I know a lot of people learn just from hearing the stories. So this sounds like a, this sounds like a winner. I go back and I reread them. Some, you know, again, if I'm having a down moment, I'll open the book. I'll read a story. I'm like, I got nothing to complain about. You know, I've got arms, I've got legs, I've got, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. One of my friends is Nick Vojacek. If anyone knows him, he was born with without arms and legs and he's been mm-hmm. all over the world, 38 countries. He's yes. spoken mm-hmm. a dear friend of mine, love him. And I could just think about him and say, 
you got nothing to complain about because he's doing extraordinary things in so many different realms and he has no arms and legs. I at least, you know, I've got arms and legs. I have no excuses. Yeah. I, I heard a speech from him once from, I think it was a suggestion from looking at something like Inky Johnson, who, you know, had, had a huge injury and, you know, college football was about to go NFL and then kind of turn that into his gift from there. So it is, it's, yes. It's so interesting. I think it's, it's never, you know, I don't think it should ever get tiresome of, you know, hearing that message of you're going to go through those trials and you're going to go through those struggles. And, you know, it's not what's happening to you. It's happening for you, you know, and these are right. just the, the most incredible stories just to hear over and over again. And how you brought yourself out from, you know, something so you know terrible of going through 24 years of marriage. So all of a sudden it was done to not only heal yourself from that, but actually create a whole program that you can help other people with. That's a superhero like mentality right there. So that was just <laughs> awesome. That was, a, that's the last question I did want to ask. Like when you got into this, you said there was a course that you couldn't find. So you had to create it. Did you create this in the mindset that I'm going to help other people in this process? I did. So there was a moment, one of my goals, when my husband first left, my daughter was going into her junior year in high school. My son was going into his senior year and you feel like you've destroyed your kids' lives at this point. I mean, I was just in shock over the whole thing. So my goal was to get two kids successfully set up in college. So that took two years for her to become a freshman, him to become a sophomore. And the day that I drove home from getting them both set up at school. I mean, okay, they've got their tuition is paid. I've got their housing paid. I've got, you know, they've got cars, computers, cell phone. Like I've done everything I can do to set these young adults up for success. And I came home and I was like, okay, now what? And I really felt in my spirit that that was the now what, that it was time for me to create a program to help women and nothing against men. I don't think they hurt any less and certainly Mm -hmm. not at fault for a hundred percent of marriages ending at all. But my heart was just for women because I had seen when I got divorced, I had 12 friends get divorced from my neighborhood of 110 homes at the same time. And I was intimately, you know, watching what we were all walking through. And I wanted everyone to do something healthy because when you're in that much pain, you're going to do something. So you're going to, you know, turn to another man or drugs or travel or, you know, your escape or isolate, or you're going to do something. And I wanted them to do something healthy. So that's why I created the course, because I wanted them to heal and be whole and to be better than they ever even thought possible. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. I think it's such a good thing that there is some separation in its focus, because I, I known a couple of uh, men's coach relationship coaches, Dylan Ruse from Australia, uh, Tim Allman, like they have their programs. And it is there's a kinship of that that I think is very powerful when you have, you know, that collective group of women or men from there. So I think that's I think that's fantastic. That I've thought that. about co-ed programs, but sometimes the women are so hurt by men and even yeah. bitter. Bitter is a good word. I mean, mm-hmm. really, if there was a man, a stage, in the group, right? yeah. it would change the dynamics. Yes. And so if they you know, know going into it, it's co-ed. That's one thing. But there's something about me being able to help keeping the women with the other women. I mean, they have a lot to contribute as well. This is a group program that they can do or they can do it on their own. Mm-hmm. Everyone has valuable things to contribute. It's, it's amazing. It's awesome. Um, 
Kelly, this time just flew by with you. Your energy is absolutely infectious. It's been so great talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time on this. This has been great. Well, thank you, Michael. Thanks for bringing this program to the world. The world really needs it. You're doing a great thing. Oh, I really appreciate it. I'd love to have you back on. I think this just energy is just absolutely fantastic. So anytime you want to come on, let's do this again. I'd be honored. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, if people want to check out more of your content, um, your course and stuff, what's the best place that we can direct them? Well, if they go to kellycalabrese.com, it's Kelly with an I, they can get a free e-copy of the Success Habits of Super Achievers book. Uh, if they want me to sign a copy, they can email me at kelly at kellycalabrese.com. Uh, I'll just charge you for shipping and I'll personally sign the book if they want that. They can get it at Amazon, of course. Um, or if they want the women's divorce coaching, it's intentionallyfabulous.com. And any woman going through separation, divorce, post-divorce who just wants support, I have a free Facebook page that's called Intentionally Fabulous. It's private. Just go there and uh, I'll welcome you to the group. Excellent. Yeah. And we'll drop it in the notes here for you too, as well. Um, Kelly, this has been awesome. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, let's connect again soon. Thank you, Michael. Awesome. Listeners, thank you so much for connecting. If you want to check out Kelly, you know where to do so. I'll see you on the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you like the show, please give it a five-star review. Give it a thumbs up, all that good stuff. And if you want to get the inside scoop on all new episodes coming up, behind-the-scenes insights, and free training resources, then you can join the Strength Connection private Facebook group now. Just go to Facebook groups, type in the Strength Connection, and join in. Also, don't forget to subscribe. See you soon.